Welcome back, my friends, to the Sweet Spot, where IT leaders share the insight with other leaders and others that want to lead. My name is Carlos Vargas, and as in every week, I have my two co-hosts, Howard Holton and Paul Lewis. How's it going? Hey there. Hello, hello. We're back again, live. What'd you guys do over the weekend? I was still in Vegas till the wee hours of Saturday morning or Sunday morning. Back home for a day, and then... Carlos and I are traveling to Montreal tomorrow. Or we're out. We're out and about. Oh, I see. So you didn't yeah, get to Montreal then, I take it. What, what Is there any good coffee in there? In Montreal? Yeah. No, it's regular coffee. <laughs> I need yeah. to bring some cafecito. No, you then, will get some Tim Hortons, though. There you go. Yeah, double, they, double. they inherited their language from the French, but their coffee from America. <laughs> <laughs> no, we have Canadian Tim Hortons. That's American coffee, sir. There's nothing different about that. That is just a that is just a bog standard cup of Joe. It's better than Starbucks. Starbucks burns all their coffee, but it's still just right. coffee. That's true. Um, so I went and saw Guardians of the Galaxy three over the weekend. Sweet. I saw I saw it yep. two times. Yeah, two times. It was phenomenal. But have yeah. you been on the Guardians of Galaxy ride? Of Cosmic course Rewind? I have. Of course I have. Mm-hmm. That is, I, I I think that's the best Disney ride. It's pretty uh, spectacular. Yeah. yeah. My, my wife has having uh, severe vertigo when we went to <laughs> Disney, and so she rode that ride with severe vertigo. Still, she, when she got off, she had to sit for 25 minutes until the world stopped spinning. She still says she would love to go on that ride again. That was still the best ride she ever went on. She still loved the whole experience, even with the vertigo. Right. Nice. And watching the movie reminded her of the ride. Yeah. Plus it was good 80s rock. But it, it was, I think it had the best soundtrack of the three films. I think if Marvel only ever produced those three films, they still would have beaten the entire DC catalog. Mm. And I think, <laughs> I think they're just flat good movies, right? Really good soundtrack, really good characters. Somehow they take these big kind of universe-breaking villains and, mm-hmm. and make the story still a small story. And right? how do you rate the third film as compared to the first two? Uh, I I think if you if you take it outside of the the building, right? The, like the first one always gets a ton of credit from me because it built the team, the people, the characters, and their interrelationships that set the foundation. But if you take the foundation building apart, I think it's the best one of the three. Hmm. Right? Add in the foundation building, and the first is the best of the three. Um, it, it's really good. Uh, they never took the kind of cheap out, right? Um, like this is the first time we get to see Gamora back after. Kind of what happened in the in the in the prior films and, and kind right. of her change. I don't want to spoil it for anybody who's not watched a Marvel movie in the last seven years. Yeah. But um, <laughs> if you're still unaware, I won't. You know, no spoilers. Um, but but they they had infinite opportunities to take kind of the cheap path with her and and chose none of them. Um, the character development for every character was strong and fantastic. The character development for the group as a whole was fantastic. Um, if you're a animal lover be prepared to cry your eyes out oh somebody dies um yeah. and there's a there's a um a kind of a reveal at the end that's kind of a welcoming to the universe welcoming to the team that mm-hmm. i don't know how they thought to pull it off that way um so where you're telling me it was all a dream and this actually took place one evening in the 1987 <laughs> That would be amazing, but no, no, no. no they, 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 they did a, a little filmmaking trick that that uh, maybe we can discuss in a few weeks when you guys have watched. Mm. That I thought was 
such an incredibly good storytelling trick. Um, I don't, I, I can't believe they pulled, they, I can't believe they wrote it in. It's not that, it's, like, it wasn't tricky to pull off, but it was brilliant in the way they did it. Um, and I, because you haven't seen it and, and it's brand new, so our, our, our uh, enormous audience hasn't, hasn't all seen it either. I don't want to do any spoilers, but let's say, like, after you guys have seen it, we'll talk about it and decide if we include it in a, in a future episode or not. All right, I have really to watch it again. Part. I watch it speaking, but I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, watch it again. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's there. It's there. It's not. It's the the thing is the brilliance of it. I think was the subtlety, not that it happened. Mm. I think everyone noticed that it happened. I, I'm not sure everyone connected the brilliance of what happened to the to the the story that we've spent. I mean, they're three hour movies, right? So we've spent what you have to include Endgame in the Guardians of the Galaxy story. Because yeah. it's critical to the Gamora piece, right? So that's 10 or 12 hours of film that we've all sat through. And they did yeah. one thing in Guardians of the Galaxy that ev absolutely everybody noticed, but I'm not sure you noticed the why behind it and why it was so significant and why it was so important. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was just amazing. Um, anyhow. Well, that was three minutes of setup and no, uh, no finished goods. Well, well, uh, no, go watch it. I can tell you, but I also, I also, for some reason, I got on a bit of a Robin Williams kick over the weekend. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of stand-up comedy. Um, like, like in the back of my mind, I still kind of have this, this, this dream that I could put together a tight five minutes and, and go do stand-up somewhere. Um, and then, and then I get online and I watch people who are actually funny, and I just go, yeah, I can't. Like, um, but I was watching Robin Williams, and and he was doing this interview where he talked. Well, he did an interview with Jonathan Winters, mm. uh, Johnny Carson. Um, and to me, Robin Williams is one of the the, the undisputed kings of comedy, right? It's R Robin Williams, Richard Pryor, George Carlin, um, Steve Martin, uh, Eddie Murphy, like like the, the, these titans of comedy that 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 helped to form what I find to be funny. Right. Mm. Um, and what was cool about this interview is back in the kind of Mork and Mindy days, right? At the time, Jonathan Winter, Winters was on Mork and Mindy, yep. was watching Robin Williams first, how much Johnny Carson appreciated him as a person and how funny he thought he was. But then watching Robin every time Jonathan Winters spoke, it was like he was looking at Santa, the embodiment of Santa Claus. Mm. Like he was looking at his hero, and you could see the kind of hero worship. And I kind of got on this path watching, you know, like classic kind of eighties comedians. And you've now, just, you've honed your set. Is that what you're trying oh to Oh no, 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 no. I'm no, I'm no further along in a tight five. You're now a catching rising star. We'll see you in NYC right. soon enough. Right. Right. <laughs> yuck yucks in Toronto. No, no. <laughs> no. Open mic. Like, like I said, I, I, I wish I was funny enough to get up and, and tell jokes, but I don't, uh, 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 I don't see that coming. Like I'm, I'm funny enough for a tech audience. I think. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, look, I I, I'm doing the best no I can here, Carlos. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to hand I it to the silver platter. No clue what are we talking about today? But I know that some way, somehow, people think that they need to be like Superman, that they had to dodge every bullet, have laser eyes, have x-ray vision. It's true. To become a technology leader. CXO, CIO, CMO, 
MMO, MMA, <laughs> all the letters on the acronyms together. Uh, is that true? Yeah, Do so, I need to be Superman? Do so, I um, need to be so good? Or, so or we, what? what is the deal? We, we talk a lot about kind of the things you do as an executive leader, right? We, we talk a ton about it, right? We talk about um, the things you do, books to read, techniques and tips and all this stuff. We don't actually talk about what it takes to be one, hmm. right? Um, and, and I bring up all this other stuff to say, um, Steve Martin, who, who, who I find to be an absolute riot, his books are fantastic. His banjo playing, I find to be hilarious. Um, like who thought you could be famous playing the banjo? Um, it's certainly in modern times. Uh, he said, um, uh, if you want to be successful, uh, you have to be so good they can't ignore you. That's correct. Right. Um, and, and I think that's an important thing to talk about, right? Um, because I, I don't know about you, Paul, but it's how I got to where I am. I didn't get here by following some prescribed textbook set of, of answers from an MBA program that said, in order to be an executive, you need to be able to do these things. Um, instead, I, I just did everything I could to be the best I could be and be so good that I couldn't be ignored in the room and continue to get promoted and promoted and promoted and promoted until I sit in the seat that, I'm, that I've you know, now sat in for 15, 16, 17 years. Is it the same truth from internal validation versus external validation? Or are they different things you need to be good at? So if the external validation is getting on to people calling you to get on stage, right? Inviting you to be a participant in the webinar requires some sort of external knowledge. But internal might be your ability to have deliver successful projects. I don't know. Are they the same? Are they different? Do I need to work on both? Um, I think you, no, I, I don't think so. Like, like, uh, um, uh, you know, at the same time, I've stumbled up my whole life. So I, I don't, you know, I'm probably not the authority, but the, but I, I've never, it's, it's only been really, really recently. And because it's part of my job where I've thought about the external piece, hmm. I've never thought about it before. And I don't think it's required to be, in this role. Um, you know, we've talked about the value of the kind of external advocacy, the things that you do that promote your, you and build your reputation, the stagecraft, the appearances um, necessary to do that, that you do that for you. Sure. Your company gets benefit, but, but you get 80% of the benefit. Your company maybe gets 20%. Right. Um, but you don't have to do any of those things to still be very, very successful. Yes. Being so good that you can't be ignored, that you have to do regardless. So is this the advice, the equivalent advice that Steve Martin would give to aspiring comedians? Would you give that exact same advice to word for junior word. technologists? Word, word for word. Hmm. I mean, I, I've always said when people say, what do I need to do to be successful in technology? I've always said, be passionate. Right. If this doesn't interest you and excite you, then you're probably not like it's going to be much much harder for you to be successful right which is really you know if you're passionate about something you want to be um you want to be really good at it and when you're really good at it people think of you as an authority and when they think of you as an authority they want to promote you so that your voice is more heard so that you get more amplification from that authority 
Mm-hmm. And they will continue to do that until there's nowhere left to promote you or you're no longer seen as the authority. And it's, di- it's difficult advice to give and difficult advice to receive, mostly because people see progression as a path, right? They see it as what activities do I need to perform, right? What projects do I need to deliver? What skill sets do I need to create? What people do I need to lead? What breadth or depth of things have to occur for me to get to this level? And some of that is true because you have to have some experience, but it's hard to say you have to be really, really good at being a technology executive to be a technology executive. So what's the best, <laughs> how do you really define that? Yeah. What's the best meal you've ever had? Uh, Joel Robuchon, uh, uh, I don't know, 12 course meal. In yeah. The, taste, the tasting menu, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, pro- probably the same for me. Yeah. Like it'd be, it'd be tough to come up with a meal that I think is better. Um, which dish was the best? Ooh, that's great. Probably the uh, birthday cake they made when they found out when I arrived. It was my actual birthday that day. Sure. Okay. I didn't. I didn't have that. So. So I. I missed the best meal in the world. Right. I mean, the, the, my my point and where I was going with that is, if you ask a hundred people what the best meal is that they had, they're going to each pick a different meal. Right. And part of the problem with this expectation of a roadmap is, yes, there are things we all have to do. We don't have to do them in the same order. We don't have to do them the same way. We don't have to do them to the same caliber or level. The expectation isn't that we necessarily succeed the first, second, or third time we do it. But the thing that you can't take away is you have to be so good, you cannot be ignored. Hmm. The one truism of everybody's path to any level of greatness. You have to be so good that you cannot be ignored. You don't have to be so good, you can't be not liked. You don't have to be liked. There's right. plenty of unlikable CXOs. And I think the other important thing is you don't have to be the best. Right? I did some quick Googling before we started recording. Um, mm-hmm. and, and there are uh, ten, roughly 10,000 publicly traded companies with global revenues greater than in the US, US-based companies with revenues greater than $50 million each. So that's ignoring all private companies and that's ignoring all um, technology startups. So right. that is 10,000. That means there's 10,000 companies that need a CISO, a CIO, and a CTO. Right. And probably are talking about a data or digital officer, probably talking about some sort of customer success officer, right? They need a CMO. Yep. They need all the, all, the, all the C letters that exist, and I'm sure the seven that'll be invented before we all retire. <laughs> That's just public companies in the US. Right. So if we, if we include private companies, it's a, there's at least as many private companies, at least bare minimum, right. many private companies, right? Um, if we look to startups, there's probably you know several thousand startups that don't don't meet the fifty million dollar requirement. Right. And then if we look globally, there's got to be another ten thousand global companies with fifty million in revenue. So what is that? Forty, fifty thousand opportunities to become a CIO, a CTO, or a CISO. And given the ten years, thirty months, there's a lot of churn to create opportunity for you at any one period of time. Right. Right. Yeah. right. Now so, the question but, is, uh, are, do have all of those 50,000 CTOs followed the same path? Did they perform the same activity? Do they have the same skill set? Do they have the same capacity? Five. Yeah. Do five. <laughs> <laughs> like, like okay okay you could probably say there's some large percentage that that took kind of the mba path right and that's how they got there okay cool yeah. so after you take those away there's still at least half that have a different path right 
And and I don't think the NBA is the current path. I don't think an NBA is going to help you get there. Not today. Hmm. Um, I think the, I think the, the um, kind of two thousands, the aughts saw way too much overproduction of NBA churn hmm. um, to have that have the same value. Now I think, I, I, I don't think there's any problem with, with getting an MBA to support the experience that you already have. Right. But if you think an MBA is going to be that, is going to be that experience. I, I don't think that I don't think that's true anymore. Um, I think there was a period of time where that was the best degree you could get, but I think that time has passed. Certainly, there's a much broader graduate course set, right? So there's masters of business uh, analytics, there's masters of artificial intelligence, there's masters of tech leadership. So it's far broader than it ever has been, and therefore you could pick and choose which credentials would make more sense to you. And it's not a four-year MBA. It might be a one-year tech certificate, right? Graduate certificate, that which might help you more in this, in the program to which, in the career to which you want to enable. Right. But, but again, if you're hoping that a piece of paper is going to get you in that door, it is not. Right. Right. It is still the supporting, it is still some supporting information for you that you chose on your journey uh, right. to be so good you could not be ignored. I'm going to keep saying it that way too. Be so good. <laughs> and, and when you look at those 50,000 CTOs, what percentage of them fall in that category? What percentage of them would you say are so good at what they do they couldn't be ignored? All 50,000? No, no, 10%. 10%. Right. If you if you add now if you add like tech startups yeah. and you add private companies, I think I think it actually starts to shift. Hmm. Right. Especially if you if you if you lower the dollar requirement, right? If you're like, well, any company bigger than 10 million in revenue, I think it changes as well. Right. Um, because I think I think as the, as the organization size gets smaller and the overall team gets smaller, I think it requires you to be a whole lot more passionate to be good in that space. Right. Um, like uh, it's also the question of how many job changes have there been. Right. Like if you look at the average tenure. Um, we, you know, it's a, it's a well-known statistic. The average 10 years, four years for, for a CXO at any organization, yeah. it's a little shorter for tech people, but, but yeah. still, if we, if we stick to that, um, you're going to find there's going to be a skew, um, that's, that makes that somewhat untrue, right? Where, where, um, and so I would, I would look at, <clears throat> like, if I was, if I was starting over, I would look at, um, are there any commonalities within the path of people who are going to follow a path similar to mine? Right. If I want to take 25 years working at the same organization to be eventually hopefully become the CIO or the CTO or the CISO, um, that's that's going to be a very different path right, than right. someone who who promotes through changing positions and and, you know, seeing seeing new companies and, and you know, continuing to to um, to to change roles and and move up that way. Um, it's going and to I think that is as optimistic, right? So when somebody asks me, how do I become the person that you are? My very first answer is that shouldn't be a goal of yours, right? You need to be the person that you're going to be, not the person you perceive me to be. Because yep. reality is you've only seen me for an hour and therefore you're making an odd judgment call on the hour that you, you just received. You've seen the best of what I can do. You have not seen the worst that I could possibly be. So <laughs> so aside from that, right? I, I'm, I'm not who you saw. I'm just that in that hour. But that being said, you need to create your own path. And because there are 50,000, 100,000 paths one could take, you could still be very, very successful delivering on things you want to deliver on without having to take the exact path that I took. Yeah. 
in fact, I could argue that I made lots of missteps in my path to get to where I am. And I probably could have been faster and better and and more interesting and more valuable throughout my career. Certainly. Right. I've 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 gone there. I've turned left when I've heard, should have turned right many, many times. Yeah. Now I can offer situational awareness, right? To say, in my opinion, I would turn left more than right in these situations and hopefully that's what you do in your career, right? Uh, But it's hard to say that if there's a five path choice that four of them aren't amazing and one of them is less amazing. It doesn't mean only one of the five is good, right? It's much more that four of the five is good. Sure. And and even then, right, if I look back on the mistakes that I made, what would have optimized my journey given to someone else isn't going to necessarily optimize their journey. Right. And yeah. that's another important distinction, right? The and why? Why is the big reason why that's true? Because we're all different. And the time is different. And the place is different. And the opportunity is different. And the employer is different. And the skills are different. And what they looked for was different. And what I had was different. Yeah, I think I think that's just another way of saying a good portion of my success is based on the luck of the situation. Yeah. Right yeah. time, right place, right company, right leader, right stuff. And I said the right things at the right time to the right people, like just right. on and on and on and on and on, right? Like, um. It was, it it just worked out that everything was right. Yeah. So it still doesn't help with the, about being so good that you can't be ignored. How do you define good in that statement? What does good mean? Um, I can define it for me. Okay. Means I consume, I reflect um, I take in multiple sources of information about the same topic from every place I can get it. Right. Yeah. Um, I then think about it critically to try to determine like what is reality and how applicable is it. And then I try to develop a well-informed uh, opinion that is easy for people to understand and contains the relevant nuance. That's very internal looking but i wonder if i were to compare steve martin with a lesser known comedian i wouldn't use external kpis right so good for steve martin is sellout shows good for steve martin is is multi-million dollar sales of his sure sure but albums but he can't he can't affect those things no, but at least it's a KPI that showcases the difference between him and someone lesser good than him. Sure. So if you're using the same math for a CTO or for what we do, what would be those external what KPIs? External KPIs? Um, yeah. I mean, I have no, I, I, I'm not sure that's the way I would ever look at that for the purposes of this conversation. Interesting. Like I don't measure myself based on attainment of external KPIs. Hmm. Like the company, the organization measures me that way, sure, but that's not how I measure myself. That's not how I measure my progress, my worth, my value. Um, like you, you can miss KPIs, be excellent at what you do, and simply be at the wrong organization or in the wrong position, or, or have the wrong MBOs. But don't you think that person in front of you, that student in the room, who's asking, "What do it take for me to become you?" is basing it on those external KPIs. That yeah, they're, they're so they're essentially right. saying to you. How do I get to be the person on stage? How do I get 10,000 followers? How do I get um, um, the the LinkedIn set of skills you've been able to accumulate? How do I get 
1500 recommendations in my social network. Yeah. But I, I, I think that, I think my answer is still the same, hmm. right? Cause it's all internal. Steve Martin doesn't, doesn't look at I'm valid because I sold out the show. He looks at I'm valid because I'm happy with the show I put on because I, I did the work. I started with, you know, an, an idea of, of a set that was nine pieces of five minute content. I went up and I did that in little tiny clubs. I took the audience feedback. I moved things around. I played with the order. I played with the length. I played with the punchlines. I played with everything until I found a set that, that, that worked. I then honed that set until it was, you know, the knife's edge. And I played it at larger and larger and larger venues until I was at Madison square garden and sold that 45,000 seats. I've, I have no idea how many seats Madison Square Garden has. Not, not, not even the slightest. I could be off by five or ten. It doesn't matter. Um, but, but all, everything he did was internalized. Everything he did had to be internalized because you can't measure, you can't measure yourself based on external. Like I, I don't set out to get ten thousand followers on LinkedIn or fifteen hundred recommendations or, or any of those things. Right. I set out to develop the things that I can produce that have value. And those are the results of those things. Those are the appreciation shown by those external. But if it didn't come, it wouldn't make me less valuable. It wouldn't make the, 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 the quality of, um, of the production of the work of the effort less valuable, right? It would then mean I had to change something. I still have to change something internally to change those external things if those are things I care about. But I agree with you with one exception and one caveat. I'll start with the caveat. <laughs> I agree with you that one shouldn't measure yourself from the external intrinsic goals to which have been achieved, right? That you got invited to this to this webinar and now people are hearing what you're saying. The caveat is this isn't the first time I've said the words. It's not the first time I've presented this content. Mm -hmm. I've like Steve Martin did a lot of bad shows before I did a lot of good shows, right? You're seeing the hundredth time I've said this, not the first time I've said this. And therefore you can't perceive what I, what you just heard as being off the cuff thing that, that is, you know, I just made up in the time. So appreciate work when involved. Got, uh, got involved get this thing, right? As someone who makes all this shit up, <laughs> um, you can't actually interpret it that way for me either. Right? I don't know. Um, I, I've heard you say things from the cuff several times. And from a category perspective, they were the same category of story. Sure, sure. But they're actually the same story. Right. Like, like, uh, I have a lot of improv capability. Um, mm -hmm. It's something I've worked on. It's something I've built. It's a skill that I have refined. It is still a skill that I have refined. Right. The amount of work that goes into being good at improv is huge. Um, I happened, I'm, I'm working through some automated workflows. So um, I happen to be listening to a talk that I recorded. I only recorded four minutes of in 2018. Yeah. I am so much more polished today than I was even just in 2018, mm -hmm. 30 years into my career, right? Um, you're constantly going to get better. You're constantly going to improve if that is your goal and you spend time to do it. Sure. Right. It's the, it's the, so, uh, so that's the caveat. The exception I make is you still have likely a lofty goal. So let's say I had a lofty, lofty goal to be main stage TED talk. If I achieved a main stage, main stage TED talk, I'd say that that was an, 
external extrinsic goal to which I achieve, to which I feel is a successful marker on my career. Sure. So it's not all, it's sure it's not every webinar that I say is an extrinsic mark, marker, but that might be, right? There might be two or three of these things that you still have a goal to achieve, some sure. ultimate check mark that you're trying to get to. Sure. But you can't tell anyone that's like, like it's still not how you're measured. Like it's not, a, that's not a step. That's a destination. That's a, you know what I mean? Like that's a gate Fair that you walk through. It's the 10,000 steps that brought you there that are the things that's, that's we'll say valuable, right? We could, we could argue whether it's truly valuable or not, but, but ultimately um, I, I don't mean that there's not value in being on, you and I have the same goal, right? We both want to be main stage at Ted. What I'm saying is the infinite number of steps to become main stage on Ted. I don't know. I don't know that you could ever really quant like anybody that's written a book about it is full of shit. Right. There's, there's so many little things that occur that allow that to happen versus not to happen. Right. It's, right. it's, it's lightning in a bottle. It's, it's so rare that Ted does an event, not TEDx, but Ted does an event right. that has, that, that in happens to invite because it's invite only you get invited to apply. You then have to write your whole talk out. It must be completely scripted. It must meet all of their requirements. It must be on time, on topic, on blah, blah, blah. Right. And you have to resonate with that topic at that time, at that place, to that very narrow audience to then even be considered for that TED talk. Right. Like, like so many things have to happen, right? That you and I have the same goal, but it's the thousand things, the 10,000 things that you do to get there that become very valuable. And, and I'll be honest, like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to think my life is a failure if I don't, if I didn't do that because it's an X, I don't need the external validation, right? I'm yep. going to do everything I think will help prepare me so that if I'm ever in the place to have that opportunity, I'm going to be in the best place I think I can be to take advantage of it. Right. But if I'm not, my life will not have been any shallower, any darker, any dimmer than it currently is. It just will be a particularly bright spot where it to happen. That's a fair assessment. Yes. I wouldn't say my career in its entirety was a failure had this not thing occurred. Yeah. I wonder if it's true outside of technology. So would an actor believe that they have not had a successful career had they not received an Emmy or Academy Award? No. no. I know people that are paid in Hollywood that have never received that, that still f firmly hold that they are successful. They, they always wonder why they weren't more successful. And I think we all do. Right. Right. Um, and so, so I have, I have some experience with, with uh, uh, actors. Right? Um, and it was funny to me to see them go through the, um, I got a role thing that, went, right. that they went through. Right. Um, people that have been in hundreds of, of things, TV shows, stage plays, um, film, you know, movies, films, right? Hundreds, plural. Um, and to to me, as an outsider, to everybody that I know, they're extremely successful. Hmm. Right? And it looks like because of the number of things they do and their level of role, like they're not they're not doing bit pieces, they're doing you know substantial pieces, that they are um, extremely successful by any measure that we would apply to them. And yet they apply the same measure to themselves that we apply to ourselves. They're still thrilled and excited and honored and bemused that someone would offer them the part, right? That the thing they did in the room or the thing they did on the screen, because maybe they didn't audition resonated with the person making that decision. And they decided to go with them. 
regardless of their level of success. Like I'm, I'm sure Tom Cruise maybe doesn't do that. Like they get offered, you know, at that level, you get offered things that are so, so huge. But from Tom Cruise to person who only appeared in a Colgate commercial in 1987, there's a wide variety of, of actors. Right. Like, you know, Simon Sinek isn't, isn't having these conversations. Mm-hmm. Right? You see, you know, Mark Rosinovich, like, you know, I, I don't care who, Steve Jobs, right? Isn't, isn't having to think about these, these things that we're talking about, right? But they're already, they're, they're already at the pinnacle. Yeah. Right. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned that because that was going to be like my next category of conversation is usually when the question comes to me, it feels like, Paul, you've met the goal. You're at the end of your career. You've done awesome things. How do I get to what you're doing? That's just because you look old, Paul. <laughs> exactly. But my kind of internal response, even though I never say it is, but I'm not done yet. I have other things I wish to do. I don't think when I define my career that I'm at the end or at the peak, I think, I think there's still lots of mountain to climb. <laughs> is that actually true? Or am I at the, like, <laughs> are we at the end here? Or is there in fact still got, peak? And when I, you look I, at CTOs and CIOs, is there even somebody we would look at in our career to say, or in our you know category of work that we're striving to be like? Um. Uh, for me, the answer is yes. Like I still have my, I don't know, professional heroes. I, I don't, I don't have non-professional heroes just for the record. Like I just have professional heroes, people who, right. people I appreciate for the job they do to a, to a, a an insane, insane level that I want to emulate and, and, and follow as much as I possibly can. Right. I brought up a few of them. Um, you know, Jonathan Ives would be on that list. Steve Wozniak would be on that list. Mark Rosinovich for sure. Uh, Simon Sinek. Just, just, just a few. Um, I got twenty years left. I, I, I've not, I've not evolved to my final form either. Um, mm. But I also don't spend a ton of time thinking about, like, is my career trajectory going to continue to go up? Um, at what point will I have plateaued? Like, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about that. I spend a lot of time thinking about how do I make sure that I'm doing the best I can do. How do I make sure that I that I still have things to say in the room that people find to be worth listening to mm-hmm. right it's still it's still massively internalized right the external validation is something i can look back on and say i think my path is correct because the trajectory fits within kind of the desired trajectory more people are listening to me today than listened to me you know a year ago um I'm getting more opportunities and more offers than I, than I got a year ago. And therefore the trajectory is on kind of the right path. Like, like, but that's not action. I take that does height matter to you. And and I'm going to use height in this circumstance to mean bigger companies, same role. So, you know, you're, you're CTO of a thousand person company and you're, you get offered a CTO of a 10,000 person company, then a hundred thousand person company, then a million person company. Does that matter in any way? Uh, um, At some point, like I'd like to see what it'd be like to be the CXO of a 250,000 person company because I've not done that before. Right. Like, Like something incredibly massive where logistics was the first, last, and almost only. Like I'd like to see what that looks like, right? I'd like to see what it looks like to to, to sit in the seat where the person I reported to was seen as a titan of industry, mm. like, you know, one of the few, I think that'd be interesting. 
Um, wrote his own books. No, no, no. <laughs> the Iococa of uh, yeah, technology. But, but like someone, when they speak, um, Wall Street perks up, listens, and you know, mm-hmm. takes action, right? Um, like I, I'd, I'd like to be a CXO there. Um, I'm not sure I'd ever be invited in the room. There's a, there's a personality to that that I don't have. As, as has been said, I'm rough around the edges. I think you can do very, very interesting things in organizations that were, that had that level of scale. And I'd, I'd like to see what that looks like. I've not, I've not, I've not had the opportunity to feel that before. I keep trying, you know, I keep trying new things, right? For me, it's been, it's been industries more than anything. Um, and I've really enjoyed the experience that comes from that, right? How the, how the change in perspective occurs and, and, and my personal evolution occurs by doing that. Mm-hmm. I've never done incredibly, incredibly massive. Um, but I don't look at like, I don't think a, you know, a 10,000 person organizations that much different from a 50,000 person organizations that much different from a 50 person organization, right? The scale and logistics change, but the purpose and goal doesn't. And I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get any more or less satisfaction from those levels of scale, regardless of kind of where they sit. I think, I think it's, it's still about, you know, what's found within you and how much work are you doing to, to evolve and change and grow. And I think large organizations just have the, re- the reality is larger organizations. You're still working with the same amount of people that you are with smaller organizations, right? You know, you only surround yourself with, you know, 30, 40, 50 people. And whether you're leading a thousand person team or a 50 person team, you're still only talking to 30, 40, 50 people, right? Like I've led larger teams and I've led teams where the vast majority of the people I might have walked by on the way to my office and still don't know their name. That's just, that's just how it works. Right. And, And unfortunately, the bigger the team, the more likely that list of people become rows in a spreadsheet not actual people with names. It's, I find it less interesting, which is why my answer to that question would be, I have very little goal to be on a higher mountain. I I think that would be a less fundamentally interesting job, even though you'd have bigger buying power. Um, I think what's most appealing to me is sort of spot opportunities. So I'll give you an example. If, If an opportunity were come to me to be the CTO of Magic Kingdom, I literally would drop anything I do for any time for any reason. It could be a third of the pay. I'd sure. go and do that job, just as an example. And I'm sure there are dozens of those that I that I could think of and, and tweet about that I probably would do that for, and no other constraint would stop me from doing it. Sure. CTO of the Magic Kingdom, I'm in. C- CISO of the Magic Kingdom, I'm out. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to be responsible for that security. Um, but, but I agree. And there's people that I, that I, you know, love to work with. I've brought right. up Mark Brzezinovich more than once, right? If I get an yeah. opportunity. Whatever job they offered you is the job Correct. you would take and you would enjoy it. Correct. Yeah. You might be their bag man, but it would be perfectly fine. You would enjoy that role. Correct. More coffee, sir. No problem. Yeah. No problem. Cause you learn more in the coffee getting than you would not being a coffee getter. Yeah. And, and that's, that's kind of how I view it, right? What is the learning potential? How does my perspective change and how do I evolve because of that role, right? That's what makes it interesting and exciting to me. And maybe that's the term, right? So when somebody comes to me and says, how do I become you? My answer needs to be, we have to be really, really good at what you're passionate on doing. And then 
turn the channel from trying to achieve an elevated goal through an organization to wanting to do anything that still follows your passion. If you can turn that channel, right, then you can consider yourself a success. Agreed. Carlos? Well, that was deep. looking at that, it's actually very interesting because definitely the passion is what's going to drive you. The passion is what's going to help you to move forward and actually become, like you said, to get to that next level. doesn't matter if it's inside or outside, but to move. So, my friends, I actually was reflecting a lot, seeing both of you. One last question. <laughs> if there is one thing that could start someone else, where should they focus? Should they focus on the outside or on the inside? Hmm. If there was one thing I could give you um, to be successful, it would be, um, I, I guess it's a two-parter. Be open to learning from wherever it comes from and make sure that you are as often as possible not the smartest person in the room. My advice would be to figure out what you're passionate about and just do it even if you fail at doing it. If you're passionate about writing, write a 200-word 200, 200 blog, even if you don't like the outcome of it. Then do that again and then do it 50 more times. And then do a hundred, then do a thousand word, then do a two thousand word. Eventually, you'll master it. There you have it, my friends. Try, do, make sure you share, you subscribe, and we'll see you on our next episode.